whenever you look at the next door neighbor or your family and friends, very often you're seeing the show. You're not seeing the behind the scenes. So then you're comparing your behind the scenes to their show. And that's not reality. So what we have is a slight distortion there. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing podcast. In this episode, we're going to learn about financial wellbeing. So you're sure to learn a few things that'll help your own situation or be able to give sound advice to others. Hopefully you'll find today's episode interesting. And if you do, we'd really appreciate it if you could share it even with one colleague, friend or family member. Okay, so today we have Mabs Gwen Harris here with us. She's regional manager in North Dublin. You're very welcome, Gwen. Thank you for having me. So when we're thinking about the money advice and budgeting service. There's so many different elements we can discuss in relation to health and well-being. But I suppose from your point of view, what do you see when people come into the service in terms of people's health and well-being? How do you see it impacting on them? One of the main things that we would see is people coming in, they feel ashamed, they feel guilty. They're probably very isolated. They haven't talked to anybody else. So while we wouldn't know exactly how it affects them physically, we can only imagine how it does. And in some people, we do see physical effects like people have been out sick because they're stressed about their finances. But one of the big things, people might even be sleeping. So over the years, we've had some feedback from clients, you know, and it's not that the debt solution is there. It's not that stage. It's early stage. And one of the things will be, I feel able to eat again. I feel able to sleep again. So when we have that big pressure, it doesn't matter what it is and it could be anything that's worrying you in your life. It does have a physical, a mental and emotional effect well, I would, on I you. would think so. Yeah, that stress would, mm. you know, people ruminating on that piece of, that they and, and as you said, they may feel isolated in their debt. A lot of the times that comes with the shame and guilt. People are afraid to say and whenever you look at the next door neighbor or your family and friends, very often you're seeing the show. You're not seeing behind the scenes. So then you're comparing your behind the scenes to their show. And that's not reality. So what we have is a slight distortion there where you see, oh, they're doing better than me and they seem okay. They don't have big bills. They're not worrying like me. So now you isolate yourself, not just emotionally where you don't confide in people, but you might start isolating yourself from social events in case somebody picks it up or financially you feel you can't afford to go to a social event because you feel you have to bring whatever present with you. you know, there's so many tracks on this because we live in such a kind of consumer society and we judge yeah. other people like we inevitably do. Like I, I remember talking to somebody and he said, oh, you can never go back in a year of your car or oh, it'd be t- shock and shame. Oh, and, you know, it's it's a funny one because you see next door getting the windows yeah, and, and you think, God, they can afford to get the windows and I can't probably borrowed for the windows and you mightn't have a borrowing. Yeah. But now you feel lesser, you know, than the person who's got something new. Yeah. And there's a lot of social pressure. Like the things that can trip people into debt can be as like as normal and standard as communions and family events that like, I, you know, I, I recall people going to money lenders and things for excommunion. Um, and it, it's a kind of that keeping up with the Joneses or like this is a major family event. We're not going to let this eye down today. Well, do you know, that's how MABS came about was a report that showed that people on low income and particularly people on social welfare had no choice but to go to a money lender for communions and Christmas. And then MABS came about from a five projects nationally. And now we're 60 plus offices around the country in a national helpline. What's changed over the years is maybe who we see 
the type of debt that we see. We might see mortgages now. We, we see new products called buy now, pay later. So things like that have changed. I'm in Mab's 28 years. Yeah. So I've seen that evolution. But what hasn't changed is what has caused the debt or financial difficulty. Birth of a baby should be a magnificent time. Now you're maybe down a wage and then you have an extra person to care for, you know, feed everything, all the expenses with a child, communions, confirmations and Christmas. But then at the moment, kids are going back to school. Kids are going to college. So all these life events, if you think of the wheel of life, yes. where all the different events <clears throat> and you think of every event that's in that social career relationship, education, everything has a financial kind of draw on you or a financial consideration. So sometimes when we think that um, if I mention a person coming into MAPS, you might think, well, they're probably not working and uh, sure they're, you know, they probably have loads of debts and, and they probably overspent and that's how it got in. And it's not the case. No, a lot of the times, most times, people's financial difficulties come about because of something that has happened to them rather than something that they have done. So losing a job, illness. And if I think about the illness when you're struggling with any situation, mental health, financial health, that can cause a kind of a hamster wheel. Absolutely. Yeah. So so illness uh, has been, you know, putting people in more debt, giving them more illness, I guess. And yeah. And then so then when you have when you have more illness, you have more expenses, you know, from medical um, medication, doctor's visits. But maybe you're losing work then as well. Maybe you can't go in. You have to call in sick. You might not get paid. So it has two pronged effect illness, illness from financial stress increases your expenses and decreases your income. So one of the words that was occurs to me is that vulnerability that people have to like they're obviously feeling vulnerable to access your service, but they have to, I suppose, be a bit open about their vulnerability in terms of yeah. putting their hand up, going like I could use some help here. Well, uh, there's, you know, four of us here in this room. So if I asked us all to do out a budget now yeah. <laughs> and be honest and put everything down or print down your bank statement and give it to the person to your left, that's what we ask a client yeah, yeah. to do. That's what we're expecting people to do. So we really do understand. And by we, I'm just, all the staff and MABS, we understand how that person feels when they come in because that exercise that I just talked about, we actually do in training. Um, when people have only started in. So anybody who's going to join MAPS in, in the future, just pretend to be surprised. But we would get people to do their budget as an yeah. example of, you know, doing the budget sheet and then tell them to pass it or call it out. And it's just to give you that <gasps> emotional, emotional kind of what I'm going yeah. to be judged. So that's one of the things that people will feel not just when they're in debt, but when they're struggling with finances or they're starting to worry that in two months time, things are going to be difficult. They feel judged. They feel, oh, well, Gwen is working. Why, why did she have difficulty? Or Gwen is not working. Why doesn't she have a job? Right. So there's two sides of that. So people feel in their head that they're going to be judged. And what do we see on the, everywhere, you know, social media, everything, wealth, you know, celebrities, people who are successful, have lots of wealth. They have lots of assets. So that's what you're thinking is, well, you know, that's success. Whereas success and if we talk about the term financial well-being, it's actually about not always having more wealth. It's more about having control 
and confidence in your budget in your household. That's why it's great to have this episode on financial well-being, I think, because sometimes that financial well-being is thrown around by some banking institutions as a, as a way of getting people to, you know, think, can, can you afford more money? Can you afford more debt? That's not, a, I think, a healthy way to look no, at financial and well-being. That could be the underlying principle. I'm, I'm not too sure whether it is. I, I couldn't say whether, you know, but the uh, yeah, financial well-being has become the new avocado. You know, all of a sudden, everybody was having avocado. It's trendy right now. It's trendy right now. So the term is trendy. Now, the serious side of that is that, as I said, I'm in MABS 28 years. Yeah. I'm delighted to see financial well-being being front and centre at the moment. And even employers are taking it quite serious. Colleges are doing employee health and well-being, which is not just physical, mental and emotional health, but also includes financial well-being because people are starting to take this serious um, and, and looking at how it can be the core you know, impact on all your well-being. It can impact your your career well-being. You know, how, how you can control your finance can impact whether you go on change jobs, whether you study, you know, so it impacts your relationship. You know, the relationship nothing. is a big thing for me and something Massive. that you mentioned um, before around the home. Yes. You know, like you think of arguments around money or, you know, children been brought up or socialized, as you, you referred to it yeah. in, in another piece I was listening to you on. Financial socialization. Yeah, 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 yeah. So financial socialization is where we observe. It's any any socialization is you're observing behaviors and you're learning your attitudes from watching, not from rote learning or somebody deliberately teaching you. So one of the things that will always come to my head, and it's only as I got older that I realized what was happening, the little brown envelope that my dad used to bring home on a Thursday. And it had all his details on the front. And I never really knew what it was, but I knew when that envelope came that we would go shopping and that my mom would take out the bill tin and she'd put money in. I was being socialized. Yeah. So I was, you know, you I, were was, from the very start. I, I was Mabs from the beginning. <laughs> Actually, my mom was Mabs from the beginning. Oh, my right, mom was yeah. a really good budgeter. But when you're growing up with a really good budgeter, you kind of think, oh, she's just mean. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, she's just, well, she's just, fr you know, it, it being a good budgeter now is vogue. Yeah. Back when I was growing up, it definitely wasn't. It was nearly a badge of shame yeah, where yeah, it should yeah. be a stride of pride. I want, why am I getting the best for my money? And I look back at my mom and dad growing up and I was thinking, they were genius. You know, things that we're trying to bring in now. Close the door when you leave a room. Turn off the lights when you leave a room. You know, yeah. all of these things. I, food I'm sure, waste. Food waste. I'm sure all of us grew up with these things. You know, you didn't throw out food. It was something else. It was always a leftover or something. Yeah. And um, that's a really big one at the moment. And... When we when we think about financial well-being, if I just step back a second, financial well-being at the core of financial well-being is a budget and a budget sounds, you know, very accounting, -y, you know, budget projections. It sounds like the national budget, but it's actually just a story of the money in your household, what's coming in and where it's going. And sometimes we don't write that story no. we just kind of work our, through it yeah yeah in my sense of it is that we are certainly in my one of my problems in my budgeting is that and the way that i i put it my wife often says to me you're leaking money here or you're leaking you don't even think that you're spending yeah. and over the a week or over two weeks or over a month all of a sudden like if you're not totting that up and i'm not and i'm not honest you know what i mean and they're key things for your budget isn't they absolutely the honesty is is key right because yeah. 
what I'd say if you were to do a budget today, be honest with yourself, right? And this is just for you, because I think that we write, sometimes we write a budget, a budget like it should look. You, do you know that outward thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't want to say that I get a, a takeaway on a Friday and a bottle of wine on a Friday, or I don't, I don't want to say that I smoke, or I don't want to say all these bad habits because you're feeling judged. Right. So the judgment on a budget um, and your finances comes from sometimes people's society's expectation of what you should and shouldn't spend your money on. I, I read a report in America a while ago where people who had tattoos were being judged. Well, if you can afford a tattoo, why are you getting a loan? This kind of thing, you know. So we have a lot of we, we do take a lot of emotion social and social judgment. Yeah. yeah. But when you're doing your story, it's your story. And it's about being honest on your story. And it's about then saying, OK, that's my story of my money. That's my money coming in and that's my money going out. Do I like where my money's going and what can I control? Now, when you start out doing your budget, if you've never done a budget before or if you're working with somebody who's never sat down, they feel that they don't know where their money is going and they feel they've no money at the end of the week. And if they sit down and do the budget, they might be able to see places that they're spending money that maybe they could save on but also they might be able to see money that they could bring in as income you know so maybe there's another social welfare payment of a support that could be there for somebody who's not working but also for somebody who is working and on low wage so there's places or you know there's there's certainly focuses that we can do on the income side but a lot of the times it's your own your own judgment on the outgoing yeah, side. Yeah, your own honest budget. I remember listening to a public health nurse talk about her own budget, mm. like how she makes a budget for her home. and But she was bringing that conversation into other people's homes. You know, as part of her interaction with families and new mothers, she was talking about, she was adding in a budget conversation and, and giving her own example. Like a lot of nurses would talk, give their own kind of sometimes personal experience of breastfeeding or raising kids as like a support for their, for their client or their patient service user. But that, that budget conversation, I thought oh, she's she's really going far with something very valuable to people like to make it real, like budgeting is normal and it's a very, very healthy thing to do. It's very healthy and I'd go so far as to say it's, it's essential because when our money is coming in and it's just going out, we're not really sure where it's going because we react spending most of the time. Now, I will appreciate that some people don't have enough discretionary money or disposable money to be able to react in their spending. But we do a lot of unconscious spending. So if we if we think about the one that we can take the most control on at the moment is food shopping. And this then for anybody who's a parent is budgeting is a hard conversation sometimes to start. Now, being a money advisor, I, I my kids were exposed to it for a long time, but um very often where we're that guilt and shame that you feel around your money is you don't want to bring it to your kids. So you don't want to say, oh, well, we need to cut back and you're trying to hide it from them. Where at the moment, the schools are really big into the climate justice conversation. So they're big into reducing the use and they're, they're doing it by action in school. So they're trying to teach children to turn off lights, to close windows, you know, to conserve energy. But they're also trying to teach them about reducing food waste. So as a parent, anybody who's still packing a lunchbox, so if the primary school, the lunchboxes, they're not bring plastic with them. They have a lot of restrictions now in some of the green schools. But 
it's a great platform for you to start with with your child if you're trying to get or anybody in your house. No, it doesn't have to be, yeah, to be it's young real, children. It is a real trend and issue. We, we've just published recently published our own climate strategy in the HSE. Mm. But in terms of that home setting that you're talking about, like practical savings, like electricity mm-hmm. and um, that food weight, like that's shocking. I, I hear some people kind of nearly joking about buying the vegetables, throw the vegetables, you know, because and then there's, what are you doing? What are you eating? Well, there's a couple of things around it, right? So I'd get very depressed about my budget if I really focused on the things I can't control. So what I can't control is the price of a unit of electricity or gas. But what I can't control is who's providing it for me and giving me the best deal and also how much I'm using. I can control that to a degree. You have to have a baseline. You know, fridge has to be on, that kind of stuff. And, and, and certainly when we're reducing our use or when we're thinking about reducing our use, it's not about going cold and eating your dinner in the dark. It's about staying warm and healthy, but reducing the use. And I challenge everybody to go home tonight and walk around the house and see how many lights are on in rooms that nobody's in. And it just has become a habit. And particularly at the moment when the season is changing. So at nighttime now we're getting into that kind of dusky, slightly getting darker earlier. So the lights are going back on. And you'll find if you walk around, there are lights on. That we just forget about. Seems like such a small thing, but all small things, you know, uh, points make prizes, you know, but yes. pennies add up, all these cliches, but it's so true. The other one that we can look at then is food waste. And food waste has so many implications. So if you think if you buy your food in and you're going to plan this great week of food shopping and our food uh, meal planning and dinners, and then oh, one night you go out, or then you get a chicken roll another day and don't bring your lunch and then the end of the week you look in the fridge or worse you don't look in the fridge and you go food shopping your normal routine do you walk the same path in the food shop absolutely yeah Yeah. you walk the same path you look for the same things i think that's great that i do that but you're right (laughs) there's there's too much conditional yeah there's too much rice at home all the time there's too you know i'm 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 building up these products Yeah. yeah they're okay those products are okay. They're not going to go off tomorrow. But if you have something but that it might just, spoil. Yeah, it really annoys me when, when I have to throw out the meat. Uh, oh, or, or, yeah. You know, like these are gone off today. Nobody looked in the fridge to see these are gone off today. Oh, God. Yeah. So if you if we think, right, if, I, if you close your eyes and visualize, right, you're going shopping on a Saturday or whatever day you do your shopping and you open the fridge and it's nearly an empty fridge, right? You've got like milk and uh, butter, a few sauces, Maybe a few yogurts, a bit of cheese. How does that make you feel in the fridge when you see that? Hungry. But it should make you feel that you've won. Oh, right. Okay. okay right? Sorry. Do you get it? <laughs> so, so like it, it, it kind of nearly brings that Angela's Ashes feeling of old Mother Hubbard kind of, oh, God, look at our fridge. And and again, we get so that you're embarrassment. That, you're bringing that um, lens into your budget thinking like, oh, I have an empty this fridge. Is, this is this a win is success. for me. Yeah. I'm not saying your freezer is empty because yeah. that's not spoiling. Yeah. I'm not saying your dry foods press is empty because that's not spoiling. But your fridge your fridge is where uh, generally things in your fridge will have a use by date, not a best before. They'll have a use by date. So they have a lifespan where they'll have to be thrown out and they do spoil and they become dangerous. And, you know, all those proteins in particular. But if you have a fairly empty fridge when you're getting ready to go shopping, that's a win. You're not throwing it out because you buy it, you go somewhere else and you eat, then you throw it out. Now you have to pay for your waste to be lifted. 
because where I live, it's per weight of the bin collection. So the more food waste I put in that, the heavier it is. So now I'm paying for my, my meal three times. I'm paying to buy it, not to cook it, to go out and then for somebody to pick it up. And then I'm adding to the food waste, you know, from a climate perspective. So there's lots of little things that we can do. Um, and going back to that socialization thing, when the you, you're kind of engaging your, your children yeah. as a parent on some of these challenges or you're engaging them in the shopping planning, like the food plan and the shopping plan should be the same thing. As you said, we're setting out a new week, we're going to eat healthy meals and then you start slip one, two, three and you end up paying on the treble. But like how, how like involving the kids is a great way of kind of pulling them into budget thinking. Absolutely. And if you think it's uh, if you go into a supermarket with a list, yeah. you think you're so you're, you're good. But how did you design that list? Was it just what you usually buy? Oh, yeah, I think I need that. And as you say, the rice or whatever. But if you don't do a meal plan, which is a little bit before the food plan, and this is where you bring the kids in and you're saying, who's in for dinner? If you have teenagers in particular, who's in for dinner this week? Um, you know, there might be a training or whatever. And then it's OK, we're going to meal plan. So if we do this, this and this. And we're doing this because it reduced in our food waste. You're talking the climate uh, agenda for them. And then so you're bringing them into that mindset of it's way this easier is good to, to plan planning. A, a healthier meal as well yes you know or to change the, the cooking you know to give somebody else a meal to cook well how, how many times have genuinely you or somebody in your house gone to the fridge uh gone to make a dinner and you say oh i'm gonna make that look there's such and such a meat there i'm gonna make that and then the other ingredients that you need for that meal are not there so you've planned a meal that you only have half the ingredients so then you're down to the shop there's companies in Ireland that are, and companies all around the world, whose only job is to lay out a supermarket like a booby trap for you, to get the most amount of money out of you. So where's the milk? Why is it in the far corner? You have to go there. It's a staple. You've now got to walk past all the other aisles and you're going, doesn't matter where you look, there's going to be a goodie, there's going to be a cake, there's going to be something that you don't need. There might be, you know, kind of like some ready hot meals, like a, there might be sausage rolls or something. Oh, oh yeah, have that. And then if you go into some other supermarkets, there's the middle aisle where there might be a chainsaw that you don't need. But, you know, so uh, I've seen it. It's yeah. a bargain. Um, bargain's only a bargain if you need it. But if you're going to get the milk, how many times do you come out? A, with the milk. Because yeah. you probably milk bought only, other things. Only, yeah. But how many times do you come out with milk only? So yeah. the planning piece is really important. And understanding that the supermarket is kind of laid out to get you, get you in a way. Yeah. So what's on the low shelf, the bottom shelves in the supermarkets, generally the cheaper ones, because the, the companies in the supermarkets will nearly benefit on the fact that we're always in a hurry. Yeah. We're not bending down. So that's where they get the least profit. And then the top shelves are usually the most profit and anything with a big, bright, luminous orange, luminous yellow, luminous green going to get your attention. They're calling to you. Oh, it's calling to you. Mightn't be the best value, you know, but then one of the best inventions, if you call it an invention in the last number of years, is the food labeling, food price labeling. So where you see milk per liter or you can see toilet rolls per toilet roll. Yeah. So if you see a four pack and a 32 pack and a nine pack, which is the best value? You're standing there and you're trying to work out, you know, yeah. but now on the label, it actually tells you how much all of them are per item. So per toilet roll, per kilo, per uh, litre. 
So even if you went to buy a pint of milk, it tells you how much it is per litre so that you can compare it to a litre. Yeah, yeah, tune in. And you don't have to actually do the maths on it. Okay, so so that's really great advice for everybody. Everybody. Um, I, w- I want to talk about some of the people that come in, you know, that are stressed or, you know, some of the people that um, our listeners might be working with and uh, may experience themselves. And you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, it's not like, you know, maybe some people think that it's unemployed people that are accessing MAB services, but it's it's across the board. And if I if I give you an age range, can you give an example of, of kind of somebody? I'll give you a persona and you give me an example of what they might be turning up with. So we get a better understanding of some of the real issues that are turning up in your service, because I think your service has a unique position and kind of having been the early touch point for the economics of the country, really, like yeah. it's where, when things go a bit sour. You're the first one to start feeling that, you know. Yeah, and definitely at our helpline, we might see the we we call the helpline the barometer. Yeah, um, and it's a little bit more accurate because that's where people might just ring and make a query and then come back another time. Where maybe to engage with a money advisor, it's a bit of a longer relationship, and you might have debt and otherwise to to address. But people are starting to worry; they might just touch point with our helpline or our website as well. So if anybody's listening and they're working with somebody, if you look at our website, there's lots of tools there that could help you start a conversation or you can direct somebody to as well. If sometimes people are not ready to engage yeah, yeah, with maps yeah. just yet. So, but so I think I think the phone line is great for yeah, that. You know, you can be, you can be anonymous. anonymous. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But so let's say a 70 year old man, single man rocks up to your service. Give us an example of something that he might be presenting with? Uh, well, more than likely, it'll be a utility bill. Now, in recent years, some people's mortgages are going beyond 65. And that would be certainly a newer last maybe eight or 10 years. And But it, more than likely, it's going to be a budgeting issue maybe around um, having gone from having a, a, a wage and maybe some savings. And then that person might have been out of the savings. But, and and I, I really don't want to sound like I'm being stereotypical, but we say. Well, in, you have to be for this exercise. For this exercise, yeah, <laughs> you're force of my hand. Yeah. But uh, so we say traditionally in an Irish household, um, it would have been women cooking and cleaning and it would have been a man who maybe did the bills and so on. So sometimes we see with an older generation that some of the men that we would meet might have, mightn't be able to cook. Yeah. They might be able to cook a little bit, but they mightn't be able to cook great, you know, and, yeah. and just understanding that. So that might be a difficulty which has an impact on their disposable income and their budget, and especially if they're on a pension. Similarly, we might meet women who are widowed who never had a bank account sometimes. And and uh, that's still no financial independence. They have no financial independence wow. and now they're widowed. They've never had to pay a bill. They mightn't have understood that before. So that's getting less as the years go on course, because yeah. we're we're do we are finding a bit more of an equal relationship in in running a house, but that definitely when I started would have been quite yeah. a common thing. And if you had somebody in their mid forties arrive in then and they have three or four kids, mm. like let's say it's a woman or a man, like what what kind of issues stereotypically present to it? Stereotypically, uh, so from a the the middle age group of forties mm. is traditionally our highest group of people with mortgage difficulties. Right. And and that can be for lots of reasons that, you know, you might get your mortgage in your late 20s, early 30s and everything's going grand. Three kids later, as we meant, as I mentioned earlier, kids are, can be expensive. And that has an effect then on your income 
that your you know your ability to keep up with your mortgage. What you thought was disposable. It's, it's gone now. It yeah. has some child's name on it. You know, yeah, I yeah. call my two cost centers, you know, cost right. center A, cost center, or Kevin and Perry. I've often called them, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I have two boys and, and yes, they were Kevin and Perry growing up, you know, hate me, hate their life. But, but they're fantastic now. They're fantastic <laughs> now. In, in case, in case they're listening. <laughs> Your mother loves I don't it. know. <laughs> to be fair, you know, I think any, any parent has that difficulty growing up and, and with the added difficulty of, again, children, will look at other kids and see, oh, they're grand. They have the runners and they have this yeah. and they have that. Again, they're looking at the the show rather than behind the scenes where the parents are struggling to get those runners. So peer pressure and is, is big. Is that mortgage challenge for that middle-aged group, is that spiking in the last couple of years because of the, we're heading into this or we're in this cost of living crisis? Um, can I challenge you on yeah, the word yeah. cost of living oh, yeah, crisis? Yeah, yeah, and, and the reason I'd say crisis immediately gets my adrenaline going. Okay. It, gets, it gets my fight or flight up when you say the word crisis, because now I'm living in a crisis. So I try to steer away from the word crisis. I, it's, it's just a small thing because I think that the words we use around it are really important. And then people get really nervous that something really bad is going to happen. So but cost of living, absolutely, is, is particularly if we think the at the same time that the utility Companies, all, all the, the the fuel costs went up, the mortgage interest rates went up as well, um, just very sh- shortly afterwards. So we have seen a number of people who might have been with our service years ago, got a mortgage arrangement and have to come back now because the, with the interest rates going up, they can't keep up on the arrangement that they had because the interest rates went up, but our salaries didn't go up. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, uh, but our expenses went up and and sometimes that person also now carries a different level of shame and guilt because they were with us before and and now they have to come back again. And when we're working through the, the money advice process, and this would be important for anybody who's working with somebody who's maybe vulnerable or struggling at the moment, we work an empowerment model. So getting a debt solution for somebody without empowering them to take control of what brought them to that debt in the first place We'll, yeah, see, you, we'll see them again yeah, you, very you, quickly. Yeah, it sounds to me like some of what we do in health behaviour change around, you know, you're looking to intervene early. You're yeah. looking to prevent problems from a, like a health and wellbeing point of view. This is a strand that's not usually named explicitly, but we need to educate ourselves. And, and that word that you used, empower, reminds me of our social prescribing services that we're trying to empower people around their mental wellbeing or their community engagement. And sometimes I know that our social prescribers refer people into MAPS and like they're a key player at community level. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you you kind of play a bit of a, um, a coordinating role between some services as well. Yeah, very often we can meet people and more often when we meet somebody, the debt is not the only issue. There's yeah. other things going on. And particularly we're talking about the mental and physical health issues and emotional health. We might work with if you think somebody is really struggling with their mental health and we're trying to bring them through a process to get them to financial health. Their mental health isn't, it might not be strong enough. So we work with, maybe we, we work closely with other community support groups, um, with uh, counsellors, with um, local employment services, with uh, ETBs, you know, for education training, retraining. And, and then, Northside Partnership are one of your key partners as well yeah, as ours. Yeah, yeah so we work closely with Northside Partnership. We, we did a, a financial capacity program called Money Made Sense. And that's a community based program on gaining financial well-being. And it's 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 all about that skill set that unfortunately we don't teach in schools. 
And this is another thing is that people kind of feel, oh, why can't I just look after my money? You get a wage packet without being told how to work it, how to read it, what to do with it. You, you don't Now you don't even get a driving license without doing your theory test. Never mind your theory, you know, the keys of the car. But we just take it for granted that everybody knows how to manage their money. And so you're trying to do some of those education mm. prevention pieces because um, you're working across spectrum. So you yes. see it, you see it when it it's, when it's kind of really harmful, or you know, and you're trying to work back with people. Can I get get you back to that kind of working? Yeah, no, the, the the working back piece. You know, when you when you have somebody that's in a bit of a state. You know, how how long could you be working with them? There'll be a few different factors in it. What what's the debt? So if it's a mortgage, sometimes it can be a little longer to resolve and also what's the person's capacity and other issues in the household so if somebody is struggling with an addiction gambling alcohol drugs then working with us will be a little bit longer and a little slower because they do need to have support to deal with other issues and then um, if somebody was in a self-harm space we do have to go a lot slower so our service will be it's client-led in ways we obviously have legislative pieces and, and codes of practice and timelines we have to work to, but we'll always be trying to put the client first and then try and work our timelines and and, and processes to support that person. So what we try to look at is um, the difference between equity. Yeah, uh, I presume it could be really challenging for people that are like, you know, maybe getting out of prison or suffering from an addiction or even having the likes of gambling as an addiction where it's like it's a debt problem fundamentally. Yeah. How do you work with the problem if if debt is nearly the offshoot of the real problem? Particularly if we look at the, the rise of gambling through yeah. the, the health restrictions, a lot of online, we would really encourage people that they need to get support for that because unfortunately when we're working through a budget, the, the addiction the will take over. Yeah, and you're dealing with a symptom, not... We're not dealing with the... Yeah, yeah so the the budget is is the ideal, but they do need support to be able to manage the addiction, to be able to work to the budget. And um, some people aren't ready. Some people will have to go and maybe go into residential and then come out ready. Yeah. Um, it's interesting what you say about that that gambling. Two of our previous podcasts kind of emphasized it. One with the, the GA, like episode two, and uh, our episode with spunout.e around youth mental health, that that gambling has kind of exploded. And as you said, it's gone online a bit hidden. And, all, and then it seeps into the family. Other people having to, you know. It is. It's a big one. And, and the online, uh, like everything else with the yeah. restrictions, it accelerated when we went into public health restrictions because you couldn't walk into a bookies or whatever to, to place your bets. And so then anybody that, that wasn't online betting. Was anybody that wasn't online betting yeah. beforehand. Encouraged into it. Yeah. They moved into it. And even like uh, they own Lotto, you know, that's that's online as well. And when during the public health restrictions, I think there's a lot of reports that shows that there was an increase in gambling online. Now, many people might have it mightn't developed for anybody any further. However, it's still kind of there lurking in the background, maybe. And uh, like with anything else, it's being honest with yourself. Am I just throwing a few bets on or have I got an issue? Yeah. It's the same thing with the budget, you know, because gambling is subjective and any addiction is subjective. Some people can tip in and out. Like that old adage of the social smoker. Some per some people could have one a year and other people 
that would just put them back into yeah. smoking again. So the, the, the expense of some of those health behaviors that we're often talking about, about alcohol and we mentioned mental health and, and, to, and smoke and tobacco, you know, they're sometimes very expensive things that can get tangled up in people's debt. Like you're you could be, you know, drinking because you're stressed or, or, you know, not being able to give up smoke because you don't feel that sense of empowerment or. Control. Yeah. Control is a big one. And and I think that sometimes it's it's not the best conversation. And I, I, I would never want anybody to think that if they came to MABS, the first thing we're going to go is, oh, give up smoking, give up drinking. It, that's that's somebody's own choice, you know, to see it in their budget and you can see the impact on your budget. But when you are stressed, you go to those behaviors that give you comfort. So you might drink a bit more, you might smoke a bit more and then that's more expense. Yes, yes. That's what I'm so, at, yeah, it's, getting it's something under control. So having control. And again, with that budget, it's if you think if you're if you're feeling financially stressed and you do your budget and you notice how much you're smoking, how much it's gone up, that might give you control enough to say, wow, that's that's not for me now as a money in Mabs and money advisor to judge. But that's for you to say, that's a lot of my money that I'm smoking. So maybe. That might be something to take down a bit or under control. Yeah, so yeah. there's so many strands to this. Like we could literally talk all day here. But and I've one been of the, accused of doing that. Yeah, yeah sorry. But, but one of the things I did want to ask you before we finish up was like you're 28 years in the service. And I mentioned like your service sees issues before they're, you know, before the government has even asked to mm. address them, you know, before. And, and I know that you're pitching in and advocating for some post social policy changes. But from your 28 years, you know, how, how have you seen the climate change in regards to like the issues that come in the door? Like looking back on pre-recession to recession to now, you know, cost of living hikes. Um, hey. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, how, how has that been for you? Um, well, I still get out of bed and I still love going to work. So that's a good thing. That's so absolutely. that's that's yeah, a, yeah, that's yeah. a great thing to say, um, not just about the company that I work for, but about what we are about, because I really do believe in in that piece about MABS, you know, and the financial well-being in particular. So what I've seen is not necessarily different, uh, you know, different situations, but uh, different people maybe we've seen um, over the years it developed where more people came who were working than came to Mavs in the first place. But um, as I mentioned at the beginning, what hasn't changed is how people feel about being in debt. You know, that that's still the same. There's still shame and guilt. The other things that have happened in the 28 years that I'm here is that we have had a lot of changes in consumer protection legislation, which is really helpful for, for you know, there's a lot of a lot more consumer rights that people can access and we can help them access those rights. You know, so you have a level of protection when you get into arrears. There's a process that has to be followed. In particular, if I talk about mortgage arrears, and I don't want to exclude anybody who's not listening with a mortgage, but the mortgage arrears is called a mortgage arrears resolution process. And it has very set out specific steps that a lender has to take to pursue you for the arrears. And that gives us a lot of tools. It gives you as the consumer, the borrower, a lot of protections, a lot of tools yourself and timelines. So there's been a lot of other changes. Cost of living, in a sense, has become a bit more talked about. And uh, we didn't really talk about anything until, I suppose, the Celtic Tiger and then the boom, the bust straight after. I think that's the first time in the 28 years that I really remember it getting 
on the telly as much, you know, that this was in people's houses. It was affecting everybody's every day. So if I was to roll it ahead another, you know, another 28 years, I'd like it that that I suppose that we're again more open and we, we move more into that financial well-being space and maybe that we have more uh, access to financial well-being education with children in schools to protect our future borrowers, our future, potentially the future MABS clients, to make sure that they have as many protections as they can. And I suppose also in the last 28 years, there's been a lot more financial products. So, you know, it was very hard to get a credit card in the 90s. You were top corporate to get credit cards. And then all of a sudden became very, you know, we, 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 we had a lot easier access to credit. That tightened up again, which was great because I think that's a better option for consumers. But we've new products. So we have a buy now, pay later. Um, you can top up credit cards. So that's nearly encouraging you to put your head in the sand or, or put it down the, the line. Long finger. The, the, the buy now, pay later. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like it, but it's not. So buy now, pay later is where you buy something and you pay for it over three payments, generally three. You can actually buy a pizza. You could buy a takeaway on a Friday from Deliveroo and pay for it over the next three weeks. And it doesn't sound bad until you've bought one takeaway and then next week you bought a pair of runners and you bought something else and girls can get hair extensions and so on. And you buy all these things and then all of a sudden you get paid and you've got six payments coming out. So now you're struggling to put food on your table that week. So different products have come on board with different products. We need a little bit more education. Like, you know, you weren't sure what a buy now, pay later was. So it's you get it today and you pay it over a period of time. So I think that that's another thing is that the you have to stay on top of easier the access in some way, easier yeah. access to credit. And in other ways, not easier access, like people struggle more to find mortgage and stuff like that, whereas you might get more kind of social lending rather than on the property ladder lending is if I go back to when I started yeah we weren't even talking about debt not nothing was talked about money wasn't talked about you heard budget when the budget went on the news in November I think it was at that stage didn't hear about it otherwise but now we're having a bit more of an open conversation about money that yes everybody is everybody has potential at some point in their life of of meeting of having a week where you're kind of going oh God, things are tight. Or going further into, God, I might get disconnected. Everybody has that potential where just one, one circumstance in our life away from us sometimes. And it's, it's about, so in financial well-being, just to finish up, there's two aspects to financial well-being. Two are in the future and two are in the present. So in the present, it's food, light, heat, all that, you know, your essentials on the table. In the, the other one in the present is, can I afford to go out social, have a, a coffee, go to cinema, um, you know, choice of my everyday. In the future, it's pension goals, maybe financial goals, maybe somebody wants to get on a property ladder, not borrow for Christmas, something like that. And then the other one is to be able to to be able to react or to, you know, to be able to absorb some financial shock. So financial shock is where your your financial situation changes. And over the, I've always thought that that 
absorb financial shock is is a bit kind of fairy tale in some way because who has that money sitting there to be able to not work and not feel it that's and now I've I realized that that's not what it's about absorbing the financial shock is knowing I need to pick up a phone and contact somebody or talk to my friends or somebody and just say okay something's after happening I'm after getting reduced wages or my mortgage interest rate's gone up I'm going to struggle. My my budget's not going to balance. Not to go put head down under the sand. That that goes back to that vulnerability point we raised yeah. earlier on. That you have to be honest with your own stuff and maybe honest yeah. with your with your bills or your you know whoever you have to pay the bills to and your support system. And uh, MABS can potentially be part of that support system. Absolutely, and there will be others as well that might be there, like the social protection themselves. You know, for payments and support payments or citizens' information to see have you any other entitlements. You know, so. But definitely MABS would be there in, in relation to debt in particular. Um, and then we, we are a gateway to other solutions that are there in, in the Awalia project, which is supporting people in long term mortgage arrears through different access to different supports, such as insolvency practitioners. So there's lots of different things um, that MABS can do. So if anybody really wanted to refer somebody, the best thing might be just to have a look at our website or it's a phone call to yeah, give say, us the free phone again. There OK, so the MABS helpline and it's open 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday to Friday and it's 0818072000. MABS.ie, you'll website, find yeah. that not just the number for the website uh, yeah. for the helpline, but you'll also find all the local office numbers as well. And then you'll find some financial health tools and tips. And we do a blog regularly so one of the blogs we did recently was on uh, actual food waste oh, and you know just to try and, and, and the other one was on shopping and then you, we might do another kind of boring one like what's your tax credits okay you know but it's just it, it's written in a in a kind of easy to consume, consume yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of way yeah, you know well look at i think your conversation has been very easy to consume and i hope the listeners appreciate it we certainly do and thanks so much for your com- you. coming in today gwen and i uh, really appreciate your time no thanks for having me and to the listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of HSE Talk and Health and Wellbeing. If you'd like to leave us a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast, that will really help other people find this content. Or you can email us at healthandwellbeing.communications at hse.ie if you have any feedback. Thanks very much. <laughs>